We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. They, they changed our kids' school, speaking of being alert and awake, they changed our kid, my kids' school schedule where they're on different schedules now. My daughter doesn't start high school till almost 9 o'clock, and we take her, Brooke takes her in the morning to school. My son's school starts a little after 7.30, but he rides the bus, so he, but he gets on the bus in the mornings at 6.05, like that's what time, 6.05 or 6.10, he, he gets on the bus and takes out. So we, um, now when you're 13, you can wake up at 6.02 and get on a bus at 6.05. I, uh, it's impressive. It really, it's really impressive. You brush your teeth and sleep in your clothes and walk straight out, straight out to the bus. So, so they actually have, they, my daughter can sleep almost two hours later than my son can in, in, the, in the mornings. So um, I normally, I, always, I wake him up, I wake him up in the morning, normally uh, open the door, and normally I'm actually leaving to come to work as she's getting up. So normally I just shout up the stairs, I shout up the stairs to her, but he loves it when I, when I come in and wake him up because it's 5.45 in the morning and I just bust, I always just bust in the door and cut on the lights and I'll say, it's going to be a great Tuesday, you know, and and he's he's got the covers pulled up and, and it's not it's not even words it's like this guttural it's coming out from out from under the covers in the morning so some of you though you look like you are awake alert alive and enthusiastic you look like you're ready to be here so i'm i'm excited about that how many of you grew up uh, grew up with a sister? Uh, uh, men in here, you grew up with a sister. Men, you, you had a sister growing up, all right? I I did not. I didn't grow up with a sister or a brother. My um, after my parents had me, there was no use going back to the well. They weren't going to improve. So I was uh, I, I was the only child, and so I didn't have one. So growing up, when I hit junior high, I did not think that girls ate much. Because when guys were around, it always looked like they ate like birds. You know, like we just, we don't want that. We, you know, no, no, no. You know, if there was pizza, they'd get one little slice of pizza. And I thought, you know, girls, they, they just don't, they don't eat that much. Well, then I became a youth minister. And I realized that it is when you put girls by themselves in a group, that it's like ravenous wolves. Uh, and then we started... We started hosting D-Nows, and I've had an entire group of girls that went from 7th all the way to college, and then we started back again at 7th grade, and we're working our way back up, back up through them again. And so at D-Now, though, they bring, they all bring snacks. Now, we're staying for one night, but you would think that we were boarding the ark. I mean, it is, the amount of food that comes into the house on the, this weekend, so... But what I've learned on those nights is, is that every time they bring something that is fantastic that I didn't know existed, there'll be some form of junk food that I wish they'd never brought. And about seven years ago, maybe eight years ago now, I can tell you exactly who it was. And wouldn't you know, related to you, Kelsey Jones is at, at my house and she comes into the house and she's got two huge bags of these of, of what I'm about to tell you about and I made the comment to her I said 
those look good. I've never had those before. And it was like she was mortified. Like, like you've never had these? And if you've never had them, I'm just going to tell you it's a game changer. They're called they're jalapeno-flavored Cheetos. And when I tell you they are fantastic, they are absolutely fantastic. Like, so, so anyway, so I got on this jalapeno Cheeto kick. But, and some of you may know this already, but if you do, don't spoil it for somebody else. But I noticed one day, I, my, Brooke had gotten me a, a bag of them. We started keeping them at the house, uh, these jalapeno Cheetos. And I was at, eating lunch one day, made a sandwich, and I got the bag out. Now, I'm not talking about a fun size bag. I'm not talking about the, the, the pack your lunch. I'm talking about a, a grown man, you know, 575 bag of jalapeno Cheetos. That, and I did not put... I know what you're supposed to do. I did not grab a handful and put them on the plate. I grabbed the bag and I put the bag on the kitchen table. I got my Diet Coke, I got my ham sandwich, and I just got the bag of Cheetos. And I, so I finished the sandwich and I wasn't paying attention and I just was eating Cheetos, just eating Cheetos and eating Cheetos. And I look up and I realize I have eaten almost the entire full-grown size of jalapeno Cheetos. Now, I, I realized, and, and I thought, I thought, golly, I'm about to get sick. And I realized I'm still not even full. Like, I don't even feel like that I'm full, which kind of bothered me. Like, maybe something's wrong, like tapeworm or what, you know, whatever this is. Like, what, why am I not full? So I, I've, I came to find out, though, later on, that actually now, they are building snack foods purposefully in ways that you taste the flavor, but they do not, do not have the satisfaction of filling you up. In fact, it is the definition of what people call an empty calorie. Come to find out that a Cheeto is about the worst thing health-wise that you can eat. It has absolutely no health benefit to it. It's like just everything bad for you, nothing good for you, and you can just eat them till you can't eat them anymore. And so we all, though, it, probably you know this, you probably, I could probably go one by one, and I bet every one of you has a guilty pleasure. In other words, I could name a snack food. Some of you, just by show of hands, how many of you in here that it, it's sweet? Like it would be a sweet. It would something sweet would be what your weakness is. All right. And then what about savory or salty? Like if you had the choice, you're gonna pick something like chips. All right. All right. So so, so good. And most of you knew that immediately. And some of you in here are sorry. You were pointing at the person that was sitting beside you, like you don't have a problem too. You know. I know what some of yours are because I've been here for a long time. I mean. I know how many half gallons of Bluebell ice cream Mark Wallace goes through in a week. I mean, it's terrible. Uh, it's, it's terrible. He needs to repent of gluttony Sunday. Some of the rest of you have other things that I just know that, that are something that, that you really like. But what we know is, is that most of the time when we say a craving, none of you were going to raise your hand and be like, I crave carrots. 
When I ask you, you, none of you thought about carrots, none of you thought about celery, none of you thought about raw broccoli. Now, there's always one in the room that was like, I did think about raw broccoli. I've trained my palate that that's what I crave. I'm not talking to you. This devotion's not for you. You're already so far ahead of the rest of us, you're not going to get anything out of this. So you can go ahead and, and, and go. But for the rest of us, we've got certain things that are problematic for us. And so it's junk food. And sometimes if we're not careful, when we talk about how we fill ourselves spiritually, if we're not careful, we can be, think that we're very happy being filled up on spiritual junk food instead of actually getting real nourishment. We're in this series, as you know, written in red, and we're looking at the words of Jesus. And in John chapter 6, verses 25 through 35, if you hadn't already turned there, go ahead and do that. John 6, 25 through 35. I want to catch you up just a little bit on where we're at. Anybody remember the story of Jesus feeding the how many? But did you know there was another feeding? Jesus fed 5,000, but there's another narrative where he fed how many? 4,000, two, diff two different events. And by the way, when he fed those, that was not counting the women and children that were there. So probably you're talking about at least 10,000 when he fed that many people. And he fed them out of, what, what was it? It was loaves and fish, right? Five loaves and two fish, just to kind of re to refresh your memory. So you remember the story, Jesus is teaching on the hillside, it's getting toward dinner time, and the disciples are like, we got to get rid of these people, it's getting toward to dark, they got to go home, get, get something to eat. And Jesus said, well, you feed them. And the disciples start complaining, we don't have any enough to feed these people, it would take, man, it'd take thousands of dollars to feed all these people, we don't have that. And so this little boy comes along, and he's got the five loaves and the two fish, right? And so Jesus then Gives, gives the disciples, and they start passing it out. And uh, there's a very important spiritual point not to miss out of that story. Some of you will remember the detail well. After they were finished passing it out, how many basketfuls were left? Do you remember? Twelve. How many disciples were there? Everybody had a basket. I like that. I like that. Because I don't know who the chief complainer was, but somebody was leading the charge. Send them home. Somebody was like me. It had gotten late and they were hungry and tired and they didn't want to fool with anybody anymore. Like, we've, you've done enough. We can get with these folks tomorrow. Send them on to the house. So he comes back and I can't help but think that Jesus had to just smile when he looked up and he said, every one of you got a basket. Not only we feed all them, but there's still enough for, for every one of you. And so you would think when that moment happened, because when it's preached, People preach that, and they will preach it like this. They will say, and the Lord met their need, and today the Lord can meet your need. Now, that's not wrong, but I'll tell you what we need to understand about that passage is that those people 2,000 years ago weren't any different than the people are today. He fed them, and I would like to think that if somebody saw somebody feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, that your immediate thought would be, I need to follow that guy. I need to know that guy. I need to worship that guy. I've never seen anything like this. But what did they want? Feed me again. Follow him. He'll feed me tomorrow. There'll be more fish tomorrow. There'll be more loaves tomorrow. And they weren't interested in the spiritual aspect of it. 
they were interested in the literal food. I want some more fish and I want some more bread. So they start following Jesus and following him. And so you remember he gets out on the Sea of Galilee and all in the meantime, we have some pretty incredible stories because that's when they go out on the Sea of Galilee and you remember they see Jesus, he's walking to them on the Sea of Galilee, and we have different gospel accounts, but we know that while he's walking to them on the Sea of Galilee, that's when they see him. They think it's a ghost, and he tells them, it's I do not be afraid. And then everybody's favorite disciple piles out of the boat and just starts walking on the water, and he gets out to Jesus and realizes, and Peter starts sinking, and Jesus saves him, and they go back on the boat. And so after this event, we find Jesus, um, and he's, he's back on land, and the crowds have found him again, and they are looking for a free meal. And so that's where we pick up in John 6, 25, uh, as we begin to read together, and we're going to read through verse 35. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? And he answered, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And they ask him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they ask him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Let me just stop there just a minute. He's already fed them, right? And they're asking for a free meal again. And he has just told them, you need to be looking for something that's better sustenance than just filling your gut. And what's their question? They spiritualized it. I think they were Baptist. They said, well, you know, our forefathers... We're given manna in the desert. What sign are you going to do? He's already done a sign. He already fed 15,000 of you loafers. He already fed you. But, but so now, well, we know, the, we know the Old Testament, and this is what happened. And if you really wanted to, to, to prove yourself, then you would feed us again, and you would, you would show us again. And then, then watch what happens. Jesus said to them, I'll tell you the truth. It's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. Now if you stop there, you would think, that's fantastic, they got it. They got it, right? They don't get it. They are thinking exactly like the parallel passage is John 4. When John 4, what does Jesus tell the woman at the well? I am the living water. He who would drink this water would never thirst again. What does she say? Give me that water. Why? She didn't want to keep walking back to the well. She doesn't want to have to deal with that over and over and over again. So now, parallel passage, we've gone from the water to the bread, and so Jesus is making the point here, help, trying to help them to understand this, and he, and he says, sir, from now on give us this bread, verse 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread 
I'm the bread. I'm the bread of life. Who who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. The only reason that they sought God in the first place is because they wanted full stomachs. How do we know this? Because after Jesus didn't feed them again, they left. Crowds didn't keep following him. He did his miracle. He fed them. They showed up for another free meal. Jesus told them, you need to be seeking more than just the bread of earth. You need to come to the one who is the one who gives that. You need me as your savior. And they left. I don't know why it's so hard for people to see these days. The religious hucksters that we still have today are promising people the very thing that Jesus sent them away for asking for. Follow me on this. The name it and claim it, health and wealth, prosperity gospel is come to Jesus for free bread. Come to Jesus and get more money. Come to Jesus for more health. Come to Jesus for a more abundant life. Come to Jesus for a prettier girlfriend. Come to Jesus to stay out of the hospital. Come to Jesus for this or this or this or this. And so crowds continue to come. And what's so sad is we have evangelical people that will defend that because they say, well, it must be working. That is the dumbest argument I've ever heard. And here's how I know that. I asked, well, how do you mean it must, what, how do you know it's working? What, what's your evaluation tool? Well, people sure are coming. Right? People show up for Carrie Underwood concerts. Some man just said amen in here. Who said that? Um, um, people show up for watch an NFL football game. Go, go watch an Alabama SEC football game or any SEC football game. They show up, go to Tennessee, and you'll see 110,000 people in a stadium. And by the judgment that most people give over the credibility of ministry, you could then say that the Tennessee volunteers were a fantastic church by the same credibility. You say, I'm not following you. Just stay with me a minute. If the way we credit ministry is because they can fill up a building with people, then you would have to also say that if anyone could fill up a building for any reason, that it was also should be given the same amount of credibility. Ever since 2,000 years ago, you can get a crowd to come to something. Promise them free stuff, entertain them, make sure that they feel good, and people will come. They'll come. That was no different in Jesus' day. It's just an abomination to me that churches now have made their life on the very thing that Jesus said, get away. 5,000 people, forget the women and children, 5,000 people, what do you call that today? A mega church. Now, I'm not telling you there's anything wrong with 5,000 people coming to church. I'm telling you that Jesus right then could have said, oh yeah, keep following me, the bread's going to keep a coming. But he said, if that's the only reason you're coming, you can get off the hill. And what'd they do? They left. They left. And that's the point 
of the passage is while what it is the reason that we seek Jesus. They, the foolish demand demonstrated their thick-headedness and spiritual blindness. It gave had already given ample proof, but no matter how much evidence is presented, some will remain in unbelief, only wanting God for satisfying their temporal, materialistic whims. Let me say that a different way. There are times that no matter how clearly the gospel is presented, no matter how wonderfully persuasive and biblically, biblically presented it is, people are not going to come to the gospel. And the reason is, is that the evil loves the darkness and evil hates the light. So they don't come into the light because if you come into the light, your evil deeds are exposed. I will come somewhere for free bread, but I will not come somewhere to be exposed. And so when the gospel's clearly presented, you have to walk into the light and your evil deeds have to be exposed. Um, we're going to talk more about this next Wednesday, but I had an opportunity Monday, Monday morning to lead a pastor's conference. And the question that one of the questions that I gave on their listing sheet is this question. And this will be on the sheet uh, next week on your listing sheet, but I'm going to kind of borrow a little bit of that tonight just to make this point. Here's the question. I asked this. There are 25 pastors in the room. This is what I ask. Is it possible to preach the gospel without offending someone? Now, let me give a qualifier there. There is a difference in being offensive for the sake of being offensive. That is possible not to do. But it is not possible to preach a gospel that brings someone's sin into light and calls them under repentance, tells them they're wrong, tells them they're wicked, tells them they're fallen, tells them they're separated from God, and tells them they're hellbound without a sinner with, because they're a sinner. That is inherently offensive. So when Jesus presented, if you go back and read the gospels, Jesus let stuff hang there. And what I mean is he would make the point and because and I see this in myself as they all began to walk off the hill, I would have been tempted to probably say, "Hey, wait a minute, y'all may have misunderstood me." No, they walked off the hill cuz they understood him perfectly. They walked off the hill because what he was wanting to give them was not what they wanted. And People are more interested in that satisfaction no matter what proof was giving them. And that's why this has been really an encouragement to me in evangelism and in preaching the gospel, and here's why. He fed 5,000 people with five fish and two loaves, and the overwhelming majority left and didn't believe. Sometimes we beat our head up against the wall. I had someone walk out several weeks ago um, we've been walking through Elijah, and I appreciated so much, so much the sentiment. Many of you in here have expressed this, and I know your heart, and I appreciate this, but they were encouraging me, saying, Brother Larry, I don't want you to get down that more people didn't get saved today. You know, don't, 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 don't get down on that. And I appreciate what, what they meant, meant by that. And, I, and I, that is a temptation in the flesh to say, man, I, I, I thought we would have sent more response. But what I am learning is that truly when the gospel is presented, 
we are going to repel more people than we are going to attract. Now, people don't like that when you say, oh, no, we want to be an attractional church. No, we want to be a gospel church. There's a difference. We can attract people. I'm to, and, and, and I hope you hear my heart on what I'm about to say. Right now, I could announce a vision, announce a vision plan and even in this little old community, if we wanted to increase by 500 people in the next six to eight months, we could do that without any problem at all. Why don't we do it? Because we're not going to do anything other than preach the gospel. And so when someone comes, we have to be willing to say, there are going to be sometimes some people, and it's not because... Maybe they leave because we do something wrong. That certainly can happen. But a lot of times it's going to be like the people on the hillside. The shallow desire that many hearts have is what keeps them from seeing their truest, deepest need. Intrigued by how he might ease the difficulties of their life, their appetite was wet only again for these trifling things. Um, and I told myself, and several of you, a lot of you have asked, I'm certainly glad that you did, that you have. Um, two weeks ago on Wednesday night, last week you guys had the cake auction, raised a ton of money, and that was incredible. Week before that, uh, I was in Israel while Trey was sharing with you, you guys. And I'm going to just tell you this because I told myself, because a lot of times when I'd hear people come back from Israel, I'd say, man, I, that's all they talked about for like, you know, and, and so I told myself I'm not just going to tell Israel stories over and over and over again, but I will tell you, I, I, I will tell you this. Absolutely fantastic. If you can afford, if you can find a way to afford it and you can find a way to go, you ought to go. They're absolutely life-changing as far as seeing it for yourself and being a part of that it was no not probably it was it was the best thing i've done in my life like as far as places i've been i've been a lot of places but it was the best thing i've done and being there i mentioned the sea of galilee i was on the sea of galilee i was you know, got to, to be there, saw the place where Jesus preached, saw the place where he fed the feeding of the 5,000. And when you see all that, it all makes sense. It, it all just comes together and you're able to, to be able to, put, I'm a visual learner. I don't know how many of you are visual learners. So um, there was a lady that was on our trip. We were with 55 people and she asked my wife, she said, your husband doesn't say a whole lot, does he? And that kind of made, probably makes a lot of y'all laugh. Like, and, and she said, she said, that lady said, uh, she said she hadn't heard you say anything. And, and I realized, I don't think I made a comment in, in three days. And I was so overwhelmed. I mean, I mean, literally, I just was humbled and overwhelmed. They asked me to do, do devotions. And this is going to surprise some of you. I actually declined to do that because I wanted to just soak up like I just wanted to, to be a sponge at this at, at that stage and so I tell you that to lead up to this by the way we're going to have some information in weeks those of you that may be interested in a trip we're we're working on that and so be be think be thinking about that um, it's gonna it, it's it's really great but here's what I was afraid of because just to let my heart out on the line I can be sometimes I like to call myself a realist but a realist can turn into a pessimist real quick if they're not careful. I can be a little cynical sometimes about things. And a lot of times when things get real built up, 
I tend to think there ain't no way. There's no way that's going to be as good as you've, they've said it's going to be. Have any of you ever been told about a restaurant that was the best thing you've ever put in your mouth? It's wonderful. You've never had a steak like this. And then you go, and it's okay. But there was no way it was going to be as good as what you were thinking because you're eating it thinking, I'd just soon have a quarter pounder. Like it's just not, it doesn't do everything that you think it's going to do. Well, they say, and there's an actual term, Israel was the exact opposite of that. I was so worried because I had it so built up in my mind that it would not be what I thought it was going to be, but it actually, like very few, it actually exceeded my expectations. But psychologists call it the Paris effect. Um, the only time I've ever been in Paris was two two weeks ago, and that's because our plane landed in Paris, and I never got out of the airport. But we, we flew from Atlanta to Paris and hung out, um, and I saw a Chanel counter. That's as close as I got to it. But we saw, we, we saw that and then had about two hours in the Paris airport, and then we flew, and we flew from there to Tel Aviv. But the Paris effect is when many, many people around the world, Paris is the number one travel destination. They think it's going to be the city of the greatest beauty and the city of the greatest romance, and they expect to be swept off their feet and on an emotional high. And many people have saved and waited decades to go to Paris. They want to see the Eiffel Tower, and I don't know, you know, what, what but they have it so built up that actually now they have had so many people that have been to Paris and while they were there were so disappointed that they found themselves in a depression because it wasn't what they thought it was going to be, right? I got there and I keep waiting. I don't know, you know necessarily what they thought was going to happen. It is, uh, that's not necessarily one of my bucket list places by any stretch of the imagination, but they had it all hyped up and the disappointment that they experienced after these hyped up expectations. Sometimes I think that we all have experienced the Paris effect about a lot of things in our life. How many of you have ever had, a lot of you were nodding. Any of you ever been to a restaurant you thought was gonna be better than it was gonna be? Anybody? You ever been on a vacation and thought, this ain't quite what they, the brochures looked a little better than this. I love to go hunting. I've been on hunting trips and people just told me that there were going to be monster bucks just wandering around and sit for three days and freeze my tail off and I hadn't seen a deer yet. I've been to fishing lakes before, hauled my boat halfway across the country. It's just full of 10-pounders everywhere you set the hook and get there and the wind be a great blue nor'easter and the wind's blowing 43 miles an hour and you're sitting there and you secretly pray, Lord, if you'll get me off this lake, I won't ever go fishing again. You know, you've kind of got that, that thought in your mind. We've all experienced that, right? We've all been there before. Why do you think that is? That it's not just with places, but it's with things too, isn't it? How many of you have ever just, what about a car? You've ever just thought, man, I just really want this new car. Then you got it. After a while, it's just a car. It happens with houses, it happens with vacations, it happens with clothes, it happens with shoes, it happens with everything, doesn't it? Why? Have you ever thought that that might be a gift? A gift, why? Because God built you in a way 
to experience the Paris effect with everything but his son. Why do you think that the world has an insatiable appetite for bread? I want more, I want more, I want more, I want more pleasure, I want more entertainment, I want more money, I want more time, I want more all of these things. And so we keep on keeping on keeping on, but instead of getting satisfied, what happens? Your appetite just gets bigger. And the reason for that is God created a vacuum inside the human heart that only He could fill. So when you have those experiences, even as a believer, we have those experiences. We get something or experiencing something that we thought was going to be better or bring us more satisfaction, and then it doesn't. And then we kind of end up bowing our head and saying, thank you for the reminder, Lord. Thank you for the reminder. That was never going to satisfy me. Maybe for a day. Maybe even something really big for a couple of weeks. But not in the way that the Lord can. That's the, the Paris effect. Um, you see a place, a little illustration. This there for you. In 1977, NASA launched Voyager 1 and 2 to explore the galaxy. A golden record called the Sound of Earth was affixed to each of these spacecrafts. A message from Earth to anyone out there in the universe who might be listening. So I guess in case there were aliens, we wanted them to, to, to know we were here. Beethoven, a Beethoven piece, and I'm not going to attempt to pronounce that word, but the, it is the German word for longing and the sound of a human heartbeat. It's as if the, the best and brightest we had at NASA wanted to say to the whole universe, that if you had to define us, here's a heartbeat, and we are creatures who are longing. We're wanting. We're desiring something more. We'll sit on a hillside begging for bread because we don't recognize that the one who could fill our greatest appetite is standing in front of us holding the bread. That's how we were built. So the question then we ask is, how do we long for God for who he is and not for the temporal benefits he provides. Do we seek his kingdom and his righteousness, or do we seek our own creature comforts? How do we change these cravings? Remember me asking you a minute ago what your guilty pleasure was when it came to food? Some of you confessed. I confessed for some of you, right? I mentioned the Cheetos. Um, there's not much better than a little oatmeal cream pie. I just, I mean, they're, they're just, they're fantastic. Y'all got some things that you like. How many of you at some point have tried one of these high protein kind of Atkins diets things where you got away from the carbs? How many of you have ever tried that? Some of you are like, no, like, no. Um, some of you have tried it. I've done it, done it before and it actually, um, it actually works. I mean, you can, you can peel some weight off pretty quick if you cut, the, cut all your carbs out. But because of my personality, I'm either normally all in with something or all out. So instead of trying to moderate, I just jumped in. I'm like, cut out all the, you know, no carbs. I'm eating like less than 50 grams of carbs a day. And when I tell you for the first two days, it felt like there was a jackhammer right behind my skull, just bam, 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 on the, right here in the first front of my forehead. And it was because you're coming off of a sugar high. 
You're actually trying, your body's trying to get used to not, not having that sweet tea that's hitting it, not having those hostess cakes, not having those Twinkies, not having that Millennium Crunch, not having those Snicker bars, not having the Cheetos, all of those things that the Lord meant for us to enjoy, right? <laughs> right? So you're starving of it, but then all of a sudden something happens. And this is kind of crazy. If you've done it before, all of a sudden, after a few days into it, you don't want the stuff as much as you thought you were going to. You thought, all I'm going to want is ice cream. All I'm going to want is sugar. All I'm going to want is this. But eventually, the craving changes. Why? The craving changed because the diet changed. All right? When we start thinking about the Lord, you say, well, how do I crave more of God? You seek more of God. And the more you seek God, the more you want God. And the more you discover Him, the more you want of Him. So sometimes if we're not doing the things to feed that desire, we're not going to increase the appetite. But if we're truly going to feed off the true manna, the true bread, the bread of life that John 6, Jesus says He is, then it's going to be about changing the way that we feast and the way that we diet. And so as we walk through these things together, my prayer for you, my prayer for me, is that every temporal desire I have, because I've got them. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that there aren't things, material things that I like or material things. We all do. But I think that we need to frame those things and recognize that when you get that new pair of shoes and all of a sudden you look down and they're scuffed up for the first time, maybe to just remind you, there's something a whole lot better than this. There's something a whole lot better than any of the things I've desired. But the difference in you and a lot of people in this world is that you know where to find that satisfaction. It's in the bread of life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that, we spoke, that you spoke to us and that you gave us words written in red, your words, so that, Lord, we would seek you and find you when we seek you with all of our heart. Lord, we do love you and we appreciate so much that you created a hole in our heart that could only be filled by you. Lord, we're thankful for that. Lord, as we experience that God-sized vacuum that you placed in our souls, I pray, Lord, that in everything that we seek, Lord, that we would recognize that you are the only place that we will truly find what it is that our heart longs for. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you for Jesus, our bread of life, and who we find the greatest sustenance both for now and for all eternity. Amen. Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.